Welcome to 242, a podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church where we discuss topics that are relevant to our lives as followers of King Jesus. This is episode 16. I'm talking about the church with Michaela Barker. We start by talking about her work in architecture and interior design. We discuss the joy and the drudgery of making things. Then we discuss growing up as a church kid, the blessings of being a part of a spiritual family, long suffering in the family of God. We discuss how being raised in the church prepared her for adult life. We discuss the intellectual challenges and the spiritual formation that came from her upbringing in the church. And then finally, we discuss the unity of the church. I hope you enjoy. All right. So, Michaela, we're officially recording. Woo-hoo. <laughs> so, so who are you? Tell, tell, uh, tell me who you are. All right. Um, my name is Michaela Barker, and I am originally from Troy, New York. I grew up in a big family. I how big? Uh, nine people, seven children. Yep, that's big. Yeah. It's not like it's above average. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just like my height, slightly above average. How tall are you? Um, five nine on my best day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's above average for I I I mean I I wouldn't have thought Michaela she's tall. Right. But I guess you are. Yeah, I'm like yeah. a little bit above. All right. <laughs> Come on, Steve. <laughs> Sorry. I don't I don't want to insult you by saying you're too short or you're too tall. I was trying to be nice. I don't know what to I say. I am as tall as AK. Are you really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, you should pay attention. I will. Now. <laughs> yes. So, you know what? Okay. We're now we're going to have this conversation. I know that that's a thing, uh, like people in height and like people feel really sensitive about their height. Uh, I've just never noticed it or paid attention to it. Good for you. I I don't Some know. Some people are really like especially short people. They get really sensitive well, about it. Well, but I've known women that were really sensitive about their height too, though. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if it's on the other, yeah. Right. Totally. So that's where like I, I definitely have known men that were sensitive about being short. Uh-huh. And I've known and I guess that's like an issue in dating too. Like Yeah, you'll you, yeah, most I I don't know about. I can't say, nobody can ever say all anymore, but most women prefer the men yeah, to be taller. That's right. There was a, a I'm about and, to say this on on And it's a deal a deal breaker for a lot of people. Right. There was a girl that I wanted to date in college and she told me I was shorter than her and she didn't she had a rule. Yeah, that's I was right. Like, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. It, there's something about it that makes the woman feel bigger and like um I don't know. There might be like a security aspect to it or like just wanting to be kind of I don't know. Sort of protected. I don't know. Mm. She she thought I was too weak for her. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but there is something about height that kind of makes, you know, like, it, I, and this is a very probably traditional conservative perspective at this point, but wanting to kind of like look up to in a literal and kind of a, uh, you know, other senses to that person. I think huh. that's a normal experience. All right. Well, so we've established <laughs> who you are, and we, we've got, for the first time in the history of this podcast, we now know the, the height of our guest. All right. So, you want me to just try that again? No, no, no. Keep going. Yeah. So, so you come from a big family. You're five nine. What else? Tell any, anything else about yourself? I don't even remember how that got working. I know, right? Uh, what else should I mean? If people, if people are like, I don't know who this 
mm-hmm. what Kayla person is, what should they know about you? Um, I love music. I love um, dancing. I, what kind of dancing? Ballroom dancing. But, oh, yeah, but, yeah, that's well, right. But probably, I mean, not, uh, you know, I, I when I was younger, I used to love um just like the beauty of ballet but i you know i never i never got into that particular art form um i I took a few lessons one summer because you know when you're younger and you're in a big family you know you can't just like take private lessons all the time or anything like that so you know uh but i eventually in my adult life got into ballroom dancing and that was amazing that was a lot of fun cool yeah well, and then we were going to talk about the church. Yeah. Well, and just really quick, I want to tell people, I mean, dancing and music is not my entire life. My oh, okay. I, I, my education is in architecture and design, and and that's the field that I work in. And yeah. so I'm not always. But you're da- deeply passionate about that. It's it's when I asked to introduce yourself, you leapt to talk about architecture. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just dying to talk about it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's a good field, and it uh, it's blessed me in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, like any, you know, like any business, it's got its ups and downs, upsides and downsides. Yeah. So. I mean, I've heard in, I've had conversation, well, I guess it was more like group conversations, but I've heard you talk, you've said, I don't remember specific things, but I remember you saying things about your work as an architect that seemed interesting to me at the time. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, an architecture, architectural education is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you you make drawings and build models and like build environments in the computer. And like, um, you know, you present your work, you have to defend your work on a regular basis. You have to like make concepts for your work. Um, and that was great. You know, I, I did a good, I enjoyed that a lot. Why? Um, why did you enjoy it? And why were you great at it? I don't know. I was good at it. Um, but I, uh, I love, I love, you know, it, there's some, I don't know if you've ever, some people just find like drawing activities or building activities or, um, or trying to like bring meaning into a physical thing, something that they do naturally. I know that's mm-hmm. kind of, no, I would Weird, say I'm like that. Okay. I mean, yeah. I do, I, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but like Tammy and I own some properties. I do a lot of work with my hands. Right. We both have just kind of fixed. Yeah. I mean, you just walk through the, the yeah. office space here and I mean, Mark uh, and, and Zach mm-hmm. and maybe Elaine a little bit too had some role in shaping this, but like yeah. I did the work most of it. Right. Um, but Tammy and I have also basically done interior design on like five or six apartments together and right. Yeah. That's so cool. yeah, right. So, I mean, and I don't, I don't know that like people would pay us to do it, but I think we're actually decent at it, you know? Yeah. So. And those tables, right. In the other oh, room. Oh yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's all you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I totally appreciate what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I think there's, um, I think actually to some degree, my religious background made it natural for me to, you know, design things with meaning or um, mm. kind of, uh, you know, I made this form and it means this, you know. Yeah. Um, I do think just my brain was kind of open and able to do that naturally. Um, so I thought the, the education was a lot of fun. 
And then, but why is it different in the application? Like what's missing? So that it sounds like the meaning and the, I mean, is it the creativity that's missing or is it like what's missing? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what uh, firm you end up working for. Mm. Um, There's a lot of people that will, you know, move to a big city and try and find a star architect to work for that, you know, often really well-known firms have, I want to say the luxury of doing that. Um, You know, there's a lot of what we call nuts and bolts architecture in my field where, you know, you're just trying to like replace the roof. You know, the client just needs a roof replacement or um, we just need the cheapest renovation possible that meets our security requirements. And you're like, yeah, but this could be really significant for your future. Right. Let's talk about, right. Like, okay, Uh, let's talk about your emotional and spiritual life and how it feeds into your space. It's like, no, you know, that's never happening. Um, Wow. Okay. Yes. Right. So it's, it's, it's all about, I mean, and this is everything in life is influenced by money, but you know, you're more often than not in this area in particular, you know, yeah, you're trying to give the client the cheapest option that still meets code and still meets their needs. Right. But needs is often narrowly defined at the exclusion of, uh, kind of the emotional connection to the space. Oh, absolutely. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and right now I'm, I'm working with like on commercial scale buildings. So yeah. some of them are just, that's not their, their, their goal is, is very sort of industrial or, or manufacturing related or, or it's security related. <clears throat> it's not about how do you want your employees to feel when they walk into the warehouse? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so actually we do, I mean, I'm sure actually the one company, we want them to feel oppressed and <laughs> productive. Right. <laughs> oh. yeah, yeah, there's no Good. Problem. We're the firm for you. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's no windows in the warehouse. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, We have one flickering light above each worker. (sighs) Yeah. Actually, you know, if a firm can manage to renovate their space, sometimes that's one of the most interesting projects they can do because it's, they get to, they have uh, room to play around with uh, concepts and just make it more interesting than you would for a client sometimes. Cause clients, there are some, you know, I think you have to be in a richer environment, uh, for clients to care about, Yeah, you know, yeah. Other things besides the bottom I mean, it, line. I do. I, so I've been in space. Well, and I mean, I just told you like we've done some of our own interior design and I actually think, so obviously somebody with some real design skill could do this differently, but Tammy and I have had the fortune in, I think every single one of the renovations that we've done to kind of sit with the space that we had for quite some time, just Mm -hmm. because usually we do all of our own renovations and it takes a long time because it's not our primary job. But so you're in a gutted space for like, you know, a few months and dreaming about the layout. And, and so we've, I think we do a decent job of like laying out spaces and thinking through materials and how to make them look attractive and feel um, like the kind of space you'd want to be in without necessarily spending a lot of money on materials or on somebody to do the design work. Um, And that's both a fun process. And also I feel like it's, it's meaningful to then go be in a space like that where it's like, Oh, somebody actually put some thought, even if it's, I mean like that space out there is not, 
it's not, you know, we didn't sink a lot of money into that space, but also it feels like somebody actually put some thought into it and you walk into it and it kind of feels that, I don't know, it feels significant. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And actually, I think you would actually, you know, better than some, if you've been renovating your own spaces and then going and spending significant time in them, Mm -hmm. that's actually an an amazing learning experience that most architects don't always have the opportunity to yeah because like, then you have to live from. with your mistakes right exactly <laughs> you you would internalize more thoroughly some of the the stupid decisions yeah. or the or the good decisions whatever they are uh, you know but so it sounds like what i heard you say is that um school prepared you to do that and then that's not necessarily what you're doing oh yeah there there's like so many things that school doesn't prepare you to do um and there's so many parts of the process that is not mentioned at school um you know there's all the there's there's several different design phases and then there's the construction phase and the closeout phase there's also the bidding phase in between and like all those things are just, I mean, and I'm sure some architecture schools are different. And I, you know, I went to the University of Buffalo. I loved going there. Um, I, I, you know, I'd love to eventually maybe teach like a small course there at some point. I, I've no, I thought they did a great job, Mm. but there is so much about my, my, my work that is just like so much bigger than what we learned about. Um, and, and there's so many other industry, you know, contractors and what they care about and what they're working on and how it affects you. And, and then all the engineers that kind of have to input into the process. Um, and you know, and then there's like the municipalities that you have to work with to get permits and things like that. You know, you learn about none of that, right? you know, and, and so you end up thrown into this environment that is very very foreign and you have to learn on your feet and there's just, and, and in, 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 in business environments, not, it seems like businesses sometimes struggle to want to train people because it's time consuming. But then if you don't properly train people, then they become like a, you know, someone that's not helpful to you. So you want to like train people to make them helpful to you. And so I just think that the transition from being yeah. in school to being like a, a useful professional is that, that, that transition is not handled well. No. And, um, well, I would, I would dare say, and this might be controversial in some quarters, but I think college is one of the worst possible ways of preparing people for most careers. <laughs> Maybe except for like accounting <laughs> or, well, yeah, but I, I, I could see that. <laughs> but it's, I mean, so first of all, it's a model, it's a model of human formation that predates the invention of the book. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it was, you know, the, the, the idea of like going to the university to get educated dates back to when like you had to go to where the scrolls were to like hang out with the scribes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas now like we have books and they can print off more copies. And, you know, we also have this thing called the internet and, and it's, uh, I don't know, like, so yeah, it doesn't make sense to me why an architect would need to go through, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you, you have an, do you just have a, an undergrad degree or you also have a graduate degree? No, I got a graduate degree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, 
it seems to me in light of what you said that I'm sure that some of your classroom learning was incredibly helpful, Yeah. but that it would have been much better for that to be dropped into some sort of like an apprenticeship program where you were working at a firm. Totally. And there's actually, I, I, I can think of, um, you know, I know there's like a, a school in Cincinnati that does that where they, they yeah. make you alternate between, um, being, having a semester and then doing an internship. So right. that, that model exists. It's yeah. just not, I, I don't know. Uh, it's not available in the SUNY system. Yeah. Um, you know, public schooling, but in New York, but yeah, it's not common. Yeah. Unfortunately. Sorry to any, um, erstwhile <laughs> professors who might listen to this episode. <laughs> Uh, well, so I, I like, I really, I know we had said we were going to talk about the church. I really could dig into this conversation quite a bit, but I also was thinking as you were talking just about how, like what, what we've just talked about is actually an interesting, um, preamble to thinking about the church. I don't know necessarily that it, this will be how you and I will talk about the church, but for me as a pastor mm-hmm. thinking about, so the way that the way I think that pastors think about churches is probably more like the way architects think about, you know, like building. Um, and there's all of this, you know, I mean, even like when you think about, uh, theology or training for, for church leadership, it is a lot of that, like, you know, big picture creativity, like exciting, you know, like all of that kind of stuff where it's like, Oh wow. And then it's like, okay, so now like this person is mad because the carpets are the wrong color. Right. Yeah. Congratulations. Welcome to the church. Oh, right, right. And it's, you know, yeah, it's how, like, how do you yeah, build it? Yeah. Welcome to the budget committee. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, I don't know. Is that a good segue to talk about the church? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Our church is 10 people. We can't afford a building. Right. You know, how are we going to build a, yeah. Yeah. The future. Yeah. Well, so, so why are you an expert on the church? Uh, I am, I will say I'm not an, an academic or a professional expert on the church, but I am an experiential expert on the church. You're a connoisseur. Yeah. I, I grew up in the church. My, my father's a pastor. Uh, my, you know, I've been involved in church activity I would say basically my entire life with maybe a small gap in college uh, Mm. when I was really hyper-focused on college stuff. So, but I've even, you know, as part of campus ministry for a little while, um, I've been part of a few churches here in Buffalo. So, you know, I just, I've, I've, you know, done a mission strip in Mexico through my church back Mm. in Troy and, you know, so I've just, I've seen church in different, all these different contexts, yeah. I would say. Well, and also as a pastor's kid, that is a pretty unique lens on the church. I mean, that's a, that's a unique lens on the specific church or churches that you were a part of or that your dad was pastoring, yeah. but that's, that's a, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's sort of a insider's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And um, I, you know, my dad was a, a worship. Yeah, so he, they didn't have these titles. Like he, so I was part of uh, a non-denominational church with bivocational pastors, and there were several of them. And they all had different roles, but they didn't have. Not all of them had these clear names. 
And so I use the term worship pastor because that's a term I learned here in Buffalo. But I we just called it like, you know, dad's leading the worship team this morning, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, dad's been leading worship for many years. Um, so, and then, you know, it has involved mom and, and basically, I actually, I was actually just at um, my former church in Troy with my family this past weekend. Yeah. And he asked me to sing. And actually it was funny cause I used to do that all the time. And so I felt really comfortable, but, uh, my mom was playing the piano. Uh, my brother was playing the drums. My sister-in-law was playing the other drums. Um, and you know, they've, my family has been involved yeah. in the church a lot. Yeah. So right. that's, and I mean, what, what is the kind of like size of the community? How many people are a part of that church community? Oh, man, it depends on what period of time you're talking about. Um, there was a time when it was like a hundred or so, maybe spilling over a hundred a little bit. And I would say now after COVID, it looks like 60, yeah. you know, maybe, um, it depending, I'm sure it depends on the week. Um, and then you're, you, that's the church you grew up in. Yeah. So then your family is a pretty influential family in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's true. Um, they've, you know, I was thinking about uh, the stuff that my mom's been involved in and she was like coordinating the nursery. She was like the drama team leader, the, the dance team leader, you know, and, and, and dad is like, you know, doing worship, if not every Sunday, every other Sunday, um, and preaching, um, you know, but, but they also, you know, have a really big family and dad actually works in the architecture field too. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, is that why you're in the architecture field or? Um, it's probably the reason why I ever even thought to do it mm. because I was exposed to it. So you're going to become a pastor. <sighs> <laughs> I don't think that's allowed, Steve. <laughs> ah, I can't believe that was your response. That was so great. <laughs> if you guys could see as well as hear that, you would laugh too. Steve, I'm not allowed to be a pastor, don't you know? No, I didn't. Is that is that that's the answer? I'm assuming that's a gender thing that comes out of the the, the church you were raised in. Um, well, actually, I, I or is it that in your tradition, architects aren't allowed to be pastors? <laughs> I think we've already answered that question. Um, People I, who are too tall can't be pastors. I I you know because we're in a non denominational church, I, we didn't always have these like strict rules about. Mm things but i think generally speaking the consensus among the leadership in that church was that you know it was better to have male leadership um uh i don't know if if they all fall like hard and fast on one side or the other of that uh you know question um but i definitely grew up thinking like you know that was mostly for men yeah so um yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about it though? Uh, yes, but not, not long enough or seriously enough for it to, you know, be. And also the longer I'm in the church, the more I'm like, no, <laughs> that's so much work. <laughs> I'll leave this to those other suckers. <laughs> If you want to do that, that's great. I'll support you. Yes. No, that's fair. 
So, but you, I mean, so you even already in this conversation have described some of the ways that you've exercised influence in the church. And I know that, you know, you've, I don't know how long you've led a Bible study for, but Mm. I know you do that. I mean, that's pastoral work. Yeah, actually, um, there was somebody at the church of the atonement who would say to me, uh, Oh, you have a pastoral gift. And, and he would say it in a way like, you know, like it was a thing you could have that, you know, didn't necessarily mean that you had to be a pastor. Yeah. Just sort of meant that you, you know, operated in that role to some degree. Um, but yes. How, how do you, does that sit right with you? I think, um, yeah, man, it depends on what you mean by pastor. <laughs> uh, I think there, so I have co-led a Bible study with different people over the, you know, time that I've been involved with it um, for, I think it's been over four years now. Um, And it just depends on what you mean by pastor. So like, I I love talking about the Bible. I love asking like a group of people questions about the Bible. I love kind of finding out what people think. And, Mm. um, you know, so I love the kind of like, I do love the intellectual aspects of talking about the Bible. I like talking about spiritual things. I like talking about how it affects our, our lives practically. Um, I do not think that I'm always best suited to, um, I think there are people that deal more gently with others than I do sometimes. So Mm. I think there are, we're going to have the basketball conversation now. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I can just, if you don't know Michaela, she didn't say (laughs) at the introduction, she throws a mean elbow. Yeah, I'm an aggressive sporting uh, person. Like, I'm not going to play a sport that I'm not going to try really hard at. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so which I, is why we can be friends, right? So I have, um, I, I have to some degree in different people's lives served as some kind of like advisor in some way. Yeah. But um, I do think I do. There are just some people that you know. I rub the wrong way too. So I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm not for everyone and I can't advise everyone or, but I, there, to some degree I have, I would say some version of a pastoral gift, but not like in a very comprehensive sense. All right. I don't know. All right. Well, we could talk more about that, but, (laughs) but I want to, I want to, I, I seriously, we could talk more about, I have a plan for your life. Okay. It sounds like Zach Lopez has I a plan for my life too. Zach and I have been talking about you. <laughs> it's funny, like Zach came up to me, he was like, he was like, I want you to be on this team. Like, and I was like, why? You don't know anything about me. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know. So that would just kind of that blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. Um The Holy Spirit is whispering in Zach's ear about you. I guess so. Maybe it's a ear that still needs uh some healing. I eh? like that's maybe that's why it's ringing. Right. It's like speaking through that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear more though from you about your experiences growing up in the church with, you know, like having a family that was that involved and invested in a church community and, and that influential too. So for, for you to have a family that was that involved for that amount of time Still in is. a church that's right. And in, yeah. and in a church that size, it's kind of like, like I'm sure there were other families that were similarly invested, but yeah. you guys are like one of the anchor families. Mm-hmm. So what, 
did you like that? Did you hate that? What was cool about that? What was formative about that? Um, you know, when you look back on it, how does that shape you? I'd love to hear more about that. I will say, uh, I'm really, I am, uh, really proud of my parents in the sense that they, you know, my dad's worked at the same company his entire career mm. and they've been involved in the same church there, you know, since they left college basically. And, um, so I admire that about them. That's something that, and I've seen the benefits of it. Um, you know, I have, there's another family that we're really close to in that church that I've still maintained relationship with even from being out here that you know if they weren't in our lives like our lives would be different and worse off you know um so i'm i'm i think the the cool thing is is if you can be an anchor family and have good relationships with the other anchor families mm. that can just you know there are ways in which my my parents didn't always know how we were blessed by the other people in those anchor families in that church. Share, share one. Uh, I can't actually, the example is just not my business to share, Okay. but, but there, let's just say my, uh, my uncle Phil, who's not really my uncle, but I, he is so mm. my uncle Phil, um, intervened in, um, a sibling's life in a way that was like, um, instrumentally important. Um, and so I, I do think I admire the way that our family and their family and any other families that have stayed have just kind of like hung together, not only for each other, but for each other's children. Yeah. You know, that's, that's something that I see is a problem when people do move a lot in churches. And so or, or in general, or move in general, um, like across, this, yeah. you know, states and things like that. It's like if putting down roots can really help you generationally, um, yeah. it can also be really difficult to do, to hang on to people that long. Um, to, okay, <laughs> talk about that. Well, I mean, to like maintain relationships that long, you know. I, you I mean, mean, it's just hard to do. Yeah, just to like, you know, hmm. I don't know. They're, they're like you said, people complain about the carpet or whatever. And there, there are, there are people, there are families that uncle Phil, he had poor choice in carpet. No, no, no. I'm just joking. Uncle Phil's way too, um, way too rational to mm. complain about the carpet. Gotcha. My dad would complain about the carpet okay, though, right. because he's an architect. Uh, that's true. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but he, he would have some power and say in what the carpet color was. Right. So, you know, whatever that solves that problem. But, um, I forgot where I was going. I don't know. Yeah. It's okay if we get lost on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'm just, in general, I, I, I think there were more positive uh, things about being an anchor family or a core family in that church than negative for sure. Mm. Um, and I do admire the long term. Yeah. The, the long suffering of right. all the people who have stayed there. Yeah. And so, I, so to use the word long suffering, <clears throat> excuse me. So you shared like some of the benefits of being that, uh, I mean, uh, being a part of that, but then using a word like long suffering. <laughs> so I'm assuming there were negatives, but also maybe just like the, like the long suffering is just the commitment to, 
just stay and yeah. to be a part of something is that i mean i don't know which what that, yeah that and and just the, like not always are the people that end up being in the church are always your favorite people like mm. you know they're they're your they're definitely like it seems like they're committed to the same work that you're committed to and that's awesome and they've you're you've grown up with them and their children and that's awesome but sometimes like they're just not like you know maybe what for whatever reason there's just not like uh you know like a perfect friendship dynamic or something like that sure but the fact that i think you know all of them even though they're all kind of different and have their own quirks and mm -hmm. you know strengths and weaknesses have managed to um you know make that church work all these years. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I, there's, uh, so there's one woman in particular who I always think of her when, when I think about this. Mm -hmm. Um, but really the, the church that was incredibly formative for me and for Tammy mm -hmm. was the, the church in Northern California that sent us here to plant. And, um, for the longest time, it was really remarkable that there wasn't really anybody in the church that I would have wanted to hang out with if it weren't for Jesus. Right. But, but these were people that I loved dearly. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, but I mean, I don't know, just like they came from social circles uh, of people that I would have made fun of or yeah. that, you know what I mean? It's like, these are just not, you and know, when I say made reason. fun of, right. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah I just, I, I wouldn't have liked you when, if I would have met you five years ago <laughs> totally. and now you're like my brother and yeah, I love you right. and I need you. And right. Yeah. And if they end up, you know, if, the, so there's several ministries that were kind of part of that church that I grew up in. It was like a, you know, there's a food pantry, uh, a, like kind of meal that, uh, they held for people, anyone who really needed it, you know, once a week, there's, there's like a celebrate recovery program and like a, a, oh man, what's it called? Uh, pregnancy care center mm. sort of. Yeah. Uh, you know, program and, uh, you know, everybody, you know, got involved in that work, you know, not everybody was doing everything, but, you know, I grew up running the food pantry on a Saturday morning with dad and mom, you know, yeah. getting to in interact with different people from totally different economic yeah. situations and, um, there were too many architects in the food line. Nope. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I think that was that was a really amazing thing that they were doing. Like they they were all kind of passionate about that work, in addition to you know, like being followers of Jesus. They were all doing that together. Yeah, yeah. there's some real good they were all doing. That's cool. So I mean, so the word long suffering uh, are so. What were some of the hard things about being a part of that church? Um, because it was, uh, definitely, so it's an urban church. It's in the downtown area. We definitely, you know, we had people with addictions, um, people who just were, they smelled like, you know, yeah. anything that could, can't, you know, it just like, there were just some tough people to like and care about. Um, definitely. Um, and so you got to, you had to like exercise boundaries with them you had to also exercise like compassion and you know you know give you know give, maybe give people rides there was like a, a rides in the morning kind of van thing and 
you know, you had, you know, if you did, there were plenty of people that we've uh, served and kind of that have become part of the family that, you know, they need a lot. They need a lot of support. They need a lot of help. They need a lot of, you know, resources. Even getting there is something that they need help with, you know? Yeah. So are there ways that you, like, I think this was from before we started recording, but we had talked about a little bit about the, just like criticizing the church. And I mean, you had said something to the effect of, yeah, I don't have like a lot of negative experiences in the church. Um, Yeah. I mean, in terms of like one of your questions is about people who are hurt by the church. I mean, I, I've definitely, I don't feel like I've been hurt by the church. I, I've, you know, if I've had any issues with people, it's been with individual people that, um, mm. you know, sort of on both of us, you know, not necessarily yeah. um, about, you know, the larger church or, um, you know, I've, I don't think, you know, there's all kinds of things that the church has, you know, messed up, but I, I haven't been like a victim of those kind of, bigger uglier issues or anything like how much how much of that is um uh perspective and how much of that is the actual lived experience what do you think i mean you also described yourself as like willing to throw an elbow (laughs) so how i'm just curious like if it's like yeah i'm not a victim or if it's like no you just actually have not had some of those painful negative experiences and other people have or i don't know what your thoughts I mean, obviously that's there, that's a both and kind of an answer, but it kind of depends on what you mean by hurts, because like I think there are people, you know, you know, there's like the realm of like sexual abuse, like that. Sure, right. I, I've avoided any of that, right? So I, I that yeah. that is not something that I've ever experienced, thank God. So, um, you know, and, and for the record, I wasn't wasn't thinking yeah. that you could be sexually abused by a pastor or priest and just get over it by throwing elbows. <laughs> That's not what I meant at all. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Excellent. She just gave me the okay sign. So <laughs> I'm not a moral monster according to Kayla Parker. Oh God. Yeah. So, um, I but think, you were going to talk about like lesser kinds of hurts. Yeah, I think there, there. I think any of my hurts have to do with like people dynamics, and I don't think I think that's just part of. I, I, you know, and I obviously may not have always thought this in the midst of that kind of scenario with one yeah. person or another, but what you know, in retrospect, it's like okay, church is full of flawed people who are who are growing and trying to be more like Jesus, but they're not you know, fully resurrected yet, you know, they're not fully redeemed yet and, or not fully, I don't know, made whole, I guess yet. And, um, and so there, there's going to be issues along the way. Um, and so I've kind of considered any, any issues I've had with people to be sort of part of just trying to be a part of a family in a way, or part of a, part of a community. You know, I, you know, I'm sure you have arguments with people in your family and those people are we often, just throw elbows in our family. <laughs> I believe that <laughs> we do have arguments. Yes. Yeah. And, and then, you know, your family is often the people that have maybe the, um, most capacity to hurt you meaningfully. Right. Yeah. Because they know you the best. And I do think, um, sometimes the church is like that. But, um, 
but I ha- I would not say that I in general feel that way about the church. It's been like, oh yeah, in this particular instance, this person did this and, you know, I think that's bad or whatever. Yeah. And I, I do think I one of your I think one of your questions was about like criticizing the church. Should we do that? And I think yes, we should definitely criticize the church. But I do think we have to keep that whole like, you know, um perspective on the fact that we're this big family and families people do mm. uh do fight, do uh disagree, um, and do ultimately hurt each other, but ultimately care about each other anyways. Yeah. Um Yeah, right. No, there's a big difference between disagreements or even like causing each other or being caused pain by each other within the context of a larger loving commitment to each other mm-hmm. um, versus, you know, not having that mm-hmm. commitment. It makes it, I mean, it changes everything. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Are you glad that um, your dad had the role in the church that he had? Like, is that something that you see as a positive in your life that you, you grew up as like a pastor's kid? Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, I do think that, um, I think one of the things that church ends up, hopefully if they're, hopefully if they're in a good church, I guess, um, you know, it teaches you to kind of talk about scripture in, in self-reflective ways. Uh, I, so I think I grew up being pretty introspective and reflective about the world around me and, um, you know, because, you know, my dad was teaching us about the Bible at night before bed or, or because we were in Sunday school or because we were upstairs listening to the sermon that week or, you know, I just think that in general, you end up thinking about, you know, what's right and wrong and what's, what's good for you and like God and, and if you're a kid and you're thinking about God, that's like all these like really big ideas, like heaven and hell, you know, you're encountering all these really big ideas when you're a kid, you know, if, if, you know, there are people that are alive that go to hell, like, oh my God, that's terrible. You know, as a kid, that's, that's, that's a lot. Um, you know, so I think, I do think being exposed to those kind of like big spiritual ideas that kind of cause you to be introspective and um you know self-aware there's a certain self-awareness i think you that you develop when you're trying to think about like oh am i doing this right you know is this like morally good thing you know i think there's room for uh a lot of reflection in the church so but that that seems like that that would have been available to you just by being raised in the church with parents who were like meaning, meaningfully committed to the church as opposed to actually responsible for helping to lead it. Maybe. So what about that part of it? That's possible. But I do think that my dad was more diligent than probably some because he was a pastor Mm. at that's fair at making at kind of teaching us certain things. And then I think we, you know, there was like never a week that we missed church, mm-hmm. you know? So, and you like that? Uh, I think it was a good, um, discipline, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I was on my own, like it was weird to miss church, right? Mm-hmm. It felt like there was something missing, you know? Mm-hmm. So 
I do think. So we're going to institute a new policy at the Buffalo Vineyard. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not going to do that. I do think when you're in a leadership position, you have, you have, you feel more responsible to like be there and to like demonstrate, you know, the kind of way to do things. And I think you do hold yourself to a little bit of a higher standard. Um, And I do think that if, you know, some people take it too far. Some PKs hate being pastor's kids, hate being pastor's kids. But I, um, I, I felt like it was a really grounding experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I think Tammy and I have worked really hard to make sure that we don't overburden our kids, but I think that we've probably overcorrected in some ways, Mm -hmm. which I feel bad about, (laughs) but also (laughs) like they're 13, 15 and 17. So it's like too late. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not 17 maybe, but no, 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 it's too late. All three of them (laughs) have passed beyond our ability to control them. Right. Completely and totally. Yeah. We can influence them, but we no longer have any control over them. Right. You can't command them into the car. No, it's kind of scary actually because we didn't, we knew that that day was coming, but in our heads, I think we kind of thought it was 18 and it's not, it's like more like 12 or 13. Yeah. I think it for men and women, it's different um, mm. for me, like, and maybe it's the way I grew up and maybe it's my personality, but I, I didn't really feel like I could say like hard no to things sometimes until I was like in college, which is stupid, but, um, well, I, it's not just that, I mean, like if we make our kids do something, they'll do it. But when they're 10 or five, you can make them do it. And at some point they'll actually agree with you. Right. Whereas if you make a 15 year old do something, he might have to do it. He will never agree with you mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he might be settled on the other side of the equation for the rest of his life because you made him do it. You know what I mean? So like that, so I, like our kids will obey us like, and yeah. they do and they're good kids. So I, I don't mean like, but I just mean, you know, if I put my thumb down on my 15 year old and say, this is what you will believe about the universe. Oh, right. That's not happening. That's a little bit different. Right. Right. You can't make anyone believe anything. You can do it to a five-year-old. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. 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 But but even in my circumstance, like, you know, once you get into college, especially like the, the door is wide open for all kinds of ideas Yeah. to be, you know, you encounter all these different ideas that um, it doesn't matter if they agreed to it at five. Yeah, you right. know, they, you got to make, you know. Who's got to make sure that not them, but you, you got, you better pray and, uh, hope and like do everything you can to, you know, make sure that they also fall in that same, on that same yeah. side later down the road. And that's, that's a harder thing to do. Yeah. But, um, do you feel like your parents and your church prepared you well for, um, like adulthood and, um, I don't know, just kind of like life in the world that we live in? Um, It depends on what you mean. If you're talking about different ideas, like um, prepared you for certain like uh, sort of ideas that are anti-Christian, not necessarily. Um, So I hit some of those ideas pretty hard in college, like different, you know, sort of atheistic uh, perspectives and things like that, you know, I think for a long time, I just like thought that people were lost and needed God and not like actively just like hated him or, uh, you know, 
believed the opposite very intentionally. Right. Um, so I think, and you know, and then when you meet like really smart people who don't believe in God, that's really hard. Yeah. You know, and you didn't necessarily feel prepared for that. Nope. Nope. How so? Like unpack that a little more. Um, I mean, I, it's kind of embarrassing, but I, I wasn't always a, a strong reader growing up, but. Why is that embarrassing? Uh, I don't know. You feel bad about that? Uh, I, it just wasn't my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um, I'm a better reader now, but, uh, but I never. That actually gives me hope for <laughs> at children. least one of my children. <laughs> yeah. Obviously I have at least one that's a reader, but. Yeah. All three of my kids are smart, but man, it's like. How come you don't care about ideas? You know, you have to, I think for any Because you do care about ideas. I do. That's yeah. kind of how you and I became friends. Right. Yeah. So I think, and actually the reason why I started caring about ideas more, like theology and philosophy and things like that, is because of these people that I encountered in college. Mm. You know, because... Oh, of, okay. Yeah. So like all of a sudden you're They're like... They're like, this Christian thing is dumb and I can poke holes in it. And you're yeah. like, oh shoot, I yep. better figure this out. Right. Basically you're the like pitiable, like like ignorant Christian person in the room. And let me tell you what's, what's up about the world. Mm. And uh, so, you know, so I, I you know... Ever since that, after I kind of recovered from that shocking kind of reality, I've been, you know, I've tried to, you know, read more, listen to more. Um, my dad became obsessed with Tim Keller and kind of his, okay. uh, you know, the last, I want to say maybe the last 10 years at least of his That's life. not a bad person to be obsessed with. Yeah. And actually, so my, so what's funny is my dad's not formally trained as a pastor. That's right. You've shared that with me before. Yeah. And, and so he's loved Tim Keller because he feels like he's being yeah. trained in some way right. by reading him yeah. because Tim Keller's definitely kind of an academic right. teacher. Um, and so I, I do think I wouldn't, I, yeah. So I, I'm actually really grateful that, you know, I went to college and encountered all these different people who di believe different things because it does sort of force you to kind of, like do more reading on your own and decide like, Oh, do I really think this is, this is real? So, so you were, I, I think I interrupted you when you were talking about you, you would, you, you were talking about not being much of a reader as a kid, mm -hmm. but more specifically your family and your church, how, how would you like, why was it you think that they didn't really prepare you for the, like encountering some of those ideas? Was it that, there wasn't really much intellectual dialogue within the church or like what, what, like, why do you think you weren't prepared? What, what was going on in the church that, I mean, would other kids, other kids growing up in the church say the same thing? Do you think was this unique to you? I, you know, my dad's going to have to forgive me for saying this, but I, I think, Sorry, dad. I think most, uh, I think most kids would agree with me uh, that, you know, I don't think our, our, you know, our Sunday school and, um, you know, even discussions at home and everything, I, I, I don't, it didn't, it never got to that kind of level of, you know, I talked theology a little bit with my parents and with the people who led, um, you know, the, you know, kind of the youth group and things like that, but just not on the same level. Like, I guess, 
we were just more pre honestly i think all the kids were just more preoccupied with you know their friends and doing stuff you know fun things in the church or um, outside of the church and not they just didn't think they needed to even talk about that stuff they took mm-hmm. it for granted i think that yeah. like um yeah that uh, that it wasn't going to be there wasn't going to be all this pushback from the outside world about <laughs> your faith you're a moron <laughs> right well yeah. so but he, so i wanted to ask that question but i also wanted to make an observation so as much as you said that your upbringing in the church didn't prepare you for some of those questions you it in 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 some way it did yeah right because you encountered those questions and you didn't crumble you didn't lose your faith um yeah. i mean maybe maybe you're about to tell me a story that like threatens that narrative but you you are a woman of faith who has come to terms with some of those questions and found answers so you're your church family and your family instilled something in you that gave you the capacity to deal with those questions. Mm-hmm. So talk, talk about that. Like how did, how, how was that for you discovering that you were the moron in the room yeah. and having to figure that out? Like what was that like and what were you kind of leaning on to respond to that? Um, that was a devastating experience. I, I, um, I did feel very undone. Um, in terms of like my, you know, just what I thought was real, was just like, oh wait, maybe this, maybe this isn't actually real. Um, uh, that's that's actually really scary mm-hmm. uh, because I I there was never a time where uh, I had a, a world where I imagined life without God. You know, so you know, God was with me even when I was a very small child. Mm. You know, sitting in my room in the dark, like scared of the dark. You know, that. So like, even, even then I was talking to God because that's just how I understood the world. And so, um, you know, being in college, you know, having these people present questions to me that I don't have answers to and thinking that I'm a fool because of it, that was just so, um, yeah, it was just, it was embarrassing and it was, and it really made me stop for a second and be like, okay, like, is there actually a God? Um, and I think, well, thank, thank God that I I had had a, enough experiences with him, sort of emotional, spiritual experiences mm-hmm. with him where I wasn't ready to just, I, I wasn't ready to, and this is kind of funny, actually, I wasn't ready to make uh, a decision about him solely on the basis of what these intellectual people were telling me, yeah. which, which is kind of funny because we often criticize the church for not being intellectual enough, right. um, which is true. But it's interesting that actually I think what has uh, helped me hold on all this time is my personal, emotional, spiritual experiences right. with God. Because because there's just something, you know, you just know that there was someone there when that happened, yeah. um, you know, whatever that experience was. Um, and so... I do remember one time I was leaving uh, the building, you know, one of my architecture buildings, you know, we had like 24 seven access to these studio spaces and I'm like walking in the dark back to the dorm and I'm trying, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to not have, to have nothing after you die. And, uh, and I, for, I think literally God for a split second gave me like this, 
like existential uh, perspective for just a moment about what it would be like to have nothing after you, um, you died. And it was terrible. It was like this terrible feeling, uh, a terrible um, like uh, moment of insight that I just, I was like, no, I do not want that. Like, yeah. <laughs> God, I do not want that at all. Um, and yeah, so that, I mean, I think I, there, there was always reasons why I, you know, could be mad at God for something or, or maybe even resent God for something for a period of time or, um, have a hard time getting over something with God. But I think ultimately I just had these too many of these um, like spiritual, emotional experiences that I just couldn't not talk to him because he was there anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was really about, I remember there was a period of time where I was, man, I was really separated from God for a few years. And then I decided that I wanted to try going back to church. And I, I was like really, I was like really cold during that time, like emotionally cold, like really um, put off by the church. I looked down on the church. I was, I thought they were anti-intellectual. I thought they they were embarrassing, you know, and, um, and of course the church still does embarrassing things, but, (laughs) but I remember there's a billion of us. There's going to be some idiots (laughs) in that group. (laughs) I remember being in my room and, and being like, I don't want to go to church. I, I don't, I, I I had to say this kind of terrible thing to God. Like, I don't love you, God. I Mm. don't feel good about this. I feel Um, I feel like I'm, I have to do this, um, because I, there's, you know, like I felt like God's calling on my life was something that was not going to let up. And so even though I, it's, it's just so funny. Like I I was never a point where I was like, no, God's not there. That's, that's, it's always like, oh God, why are you making me do this? (laughs) You know, why, why do I have to be part of a church? Why do I have to become a loving person again? You know, like why? So, so I actually asked God to help like change my heart and help me to want to love him and do this again, like do church again, do, you know, um, you know, be a Christian, uh, more fully again. And, and he did that for me. Um, it, you know, it took, it took a, you know, period of time. Um, like I, I actually visited village church for like a whole year before I even got fully involved because I just needed time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what we, what question we were talking about, but I, I'm, I'm grateful for those people who challenged my faith. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we're, <laughs> it's kind of like college, like college doesn't prepare you for the professional world always. Um, and, and, church and family life doesn't always prepare you for the ideas that you're going to encounter in, right. in college. Um, but luckily God is bigger than all of those things. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so you, uh, you said something that I don't want to n- not respond to because mm-hmm. I think it's pretty important. Um, that you told God you didn't love him. Yeah. But ask God to help you. Mm-hmm you know, change that. And, um, 
I, I actually had, um, so my pastor out in California, he, he gave me permission to say that. Like, I don't think he did that to my face. I think it was just something I heard him say in a, in a sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ended up being like a pretty profound thing for me mm-hmm. to be able to go through almost that exact experience. And what it, what it, what it ultimately was, was permission to be honest, mm-hmm. you know, to okay. just say to God, Hey, this is where I'm at. And it's not where I want to be. I don't think it's where you want me to be, but it is where I'm at. And yeah. it, it, and I, so again, I don't know, like, I think that, so I think that's worth pointing at what you just shared. Like that's really significant. Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, because religion can be a game for so many people, you know, yeah. and it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Um, if it means anything, if, if those really smart intellectual people are wrong in any way, shape or form, then it means that what we believe about God is the most important thing about everything, right? If, if, if right. God exists, there really isn't anything more important. Right. And so if that's the truth, then it can't be a game and it can't be pretend and it can't be, you know, so like it, it's either real or it's not. Right. And if it's not real, why are we playing the game? And right. if it is real, why would you play a game? <laughs> you know what I mean? So like be like, like right. just do the thing. And so yeah. I think that that matters quite a bit, mm-hmm. but again, like you were able to navigate that, those experiences and, I don't know, like that does point at, I mean, it certainly it points at God and his faithfulness. It points at you and some of the decisions that you made, but it also points back to the environment you were raised in and that, you know, you were raised in a church community and in a family that um, helped you to have that kind of faith and that kind of interaction with God and those kinds of experiences. Yeah. Uh, that kind of character, I would say too, right? Like you were formed in a particular way by your family and your church. Yeah, it's hard to say exactly what, you know, I mean, life's so complicated, you know, I don't know how I managed to get there, right, exactly. I can't point to one thing or, you know, a particular instance in my family that allowed me to be, like you're saying, you you heard in a sermon, oh yeah, I can be honest with God in this particular way. I didn't, I, I don't know exactly where I learned that from. Mm. I, I don't. Um, I, and I suppose it, you know, it was, it must've been, um, growing up in my church environment, but, uh, um, I do think also it's, I think there's, it is part of my personality too, to just, um, you know, just kind of be, uh, earnest in that way. And just throw an elbow. Yeah. Even if it's at God. Yeah. And my, you know, and I would say like my, my, uh, my parents are earnest people. Mm. So, um, I'm sure that's some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Hmm. Well, this seems like a natural transition to something else. I don't know what, what, what are, what are some of the other questions that we, we kicked around about the church? Uh, Yeah. What, so if you were going to talk about like ways that kind of like your vision or your hope for the church, mm. you know, um, I mean, there's a, there's a, and I, I do have to admit it is refreshing to have conversations with people who, while they're not starry eyed, you know, kind of like the church is perfect, but like they love the church. They have positive experiences with the church. Like that's super cool. Not, not to minimize people who don't, you know, like there, there is like, there are some genuinely painful experiences people have had with the church. We need to pay attention to those. Absolutely. We, we should be willing to criticize the church, but also, absolutely. 
just to recognize the truly beautiful thing that the church is, including, you know, like to go back to the, to the um, architecture metaphor, like, you know, just because it's a boring warehouse doesn't mean it's still not like an incredibly functional building. You know right. what I mean? It's like, that's right. and it took a ton of resources to build it that's and it right. serves an incredibly important purpose. And like, there's a lot of people who would be much worse off without it, you yeah, know? That's absolutely and so right. to be able to say that about the church, Hey, yeah, it could be better and it could be, you know, but man, look at like what it is. And, and it, it actually is a thing that, that we need. And I mean, and that's where the metaphor breaks down. Cause like we actually, we actually are the church, you know, if the church disappears, then we, we are no, no longer here cause that's us. Yeah. But so, so that's cool to, to interact with you about that. But what are like, what are some of the things that you would hope for that? So like thinking about whether it's our church or the church in Buffalo or the church in America, or just like the church, you know, right. what are some things that you're like, man, this is something that I really appreciate about or would love to see more of, or, you know, would criticize or like, what are some, you know, if you're going to like Michaela is Pope for the day and that's obviously not how Pope works, but wow. see now you were going to be a pastor. Now you're Pope. Oh my God. You should call home and tell him. So I know like a few things about, uh, the Eastern Orthodox, uh, faith. Okay. Uh, my brother is, uh, Russian Eastern Orthodox. And then I also like for a short period of time dated somebody who was like getting baptized into the Orthodox church. And I would say that, um, I do wish that, um, I do wish we were more unified in, uh, practice, um, and tradition. And, um, I do wish that, you know, so one of the things that, you know, the Catholic and Orthodox believers don't think that our communion is legitimate, for example. Yeah. Like we can't, we can't take communion with them and they look down on the way we do communion. Right. Um, I wish that wasn't the case. Um, I wish that uh, we could get on the same page about that. Um, so I, you're not the Pope, you're the patriarch. <laughs> you can be the Pope and the patriarch. <laughs> That sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> We're consolidating all of the ecclesiastical power in the world into the person of Michaela Barker. Oh my God. No, me. yeah, you don't want that? No. Who would want that, right? Oh my God. All right, but you were talking about something more meaningful. I was being silly. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about the unity of the church. I'm sure there's some politicians who would want that. Oh much my power. gosh. Which is why I don't, yeah. <laughs> no, don't get me started. Oh gosh. I've gotten like so many people over the last mm, week or two have been trying. We were you were, you were saying the same thing I think before we started recording. Pe- people are like soliciting my vote for mayor. Yeah, it's like, ah. right. The fact that you're asking makes me think that you're undeserving, or that you're desperate. Yeah, right. Which yeah. doesn't make me. Yeah. So there, do you know that there was actually a pope who was I don't know if the ordained is the right word, but there was a pope who was made pope against their will. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I know Augustine was ordained a priest against his will. Wow. He's like, they're like, you should be priest. He's like, no, God has called you. No, 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 no. I don't (laughs) want this job. Sorry. You're a priest. (laughs) Nothing you could do about it. I actually kind of, I mean, I kind of love that. Right. Isn't Um, that a cool thing? That is cool. And I I imagine being the person that was kind of a real pain in the, (laughs) you know what? Yep. So Michaela, we're about to ordain you a pastor. uh, God, please don't do that. I I wouldn't actually do that. (laughs) 
(laughs) I think it's funny to say. But there's something cool about that. Like God is calling you to this place of authority, but I don't want it. I know you don't want it, but this is actually what God is calling you to do. And part of the reason why he's calling you is because you don't want it. Yeah. And so, you know, in our um, kind of evangelical, you know, in the non-denominational world, we wouldn't, there's like, that doesn't, that never happens. Um, But in a context where, uh, in the Catholic or the Orthodox Church, where you are you are like under people's authority in a much more real way right. uh, than you are in um, kind of uh, you know our settings. Yeah, uh, I. Uh, and you want that? Sounds like. Well, see, I, like I sort of want that in theory, right? You know, <laughs> I, 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 I want the authority as long as they tell me to do what I want to do. Right, but if you you know if you get into other situations where that authority starts to impact your like your very personal life, mm-hmm. like marriage, divorce, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like, oh man, that's a messy landscape. Scary, yeah. yeah, that is it's right. It's scary. Mm-hmm. Um and um so I you know, I I wish we were unified, but I don't necessarily like want to give someone that much power. <laughs> someone else that's not God that much power. Um but uh I do wish I do wish we had like, I do wish traditions and communion and um, there was more in common between all of us. Why? Um, because, you know, I, I feel like I didn't even really learn about some of the other tradition, faith traditions until I was an adult. Mm. And I, um, I, you know, there's a lot about church history. I still don't know. Yeah. Right. Um, there, you know, I, di- I didn't know this really until I started getting involved. Like I was involved with an Angli- Anglican church for a short period of time and they have like a book of common prayer the way the Catholics have a book of common prayer. Right. And it's, there's some really rich prayers, yeah. like their confession prayer, for example, that they do every Sunday, like, man, like it's, it, it's really, it, it, it impacts you. Uh, you feel, um, like obviously it's a tough thing to go through confession, mm-hmm. but, but you feel really good after, <laughs> you right. know, the, that's something like those older traditions do more of that. I think there's definitely some wisdom in, you know, there's, there's just some like older wisdom that I think some of the, non-denominational world hasn't tapped into right um and and it is our heritage right yeah Yeah. i mean if if we belong to the global historic church it's our heritage right even if they don't think so right (laughs) or if we don't think so (laughs) right but we actually do right exactly Yeah. yeah it's yeah we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them actually right which is kind of funny to think about mm-hmm. you know at some point our ancestors were part of the Catholic church or the mm-hmm. Orthodox church or whatever. Right. And they used to be one at some point. Yep. So we're just arguing about who took the ball when we fought and split up. Right. It's like right. Who, 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 uh, who the, the Catholics will say that they have apostolic succession, but I, I just think, you know, the vineyard has it. 
<laughs> we stole it from them. Well, you probably, well, you I'm, better I'm hope. I'm totally, you I'm better, joking, of course. You better hope the Catholics have it because that's probably how you got it, right? No, no, no they had it. <laughs> they now had, we've got okay, it. Okay. That's what I mean. No, 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 they had it, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they totally had it. I believe I believe in apostolic succession. <laughs> yeah. The Catholics and the, um, and the Orthodox had it until they split in... 1000 and the Catholics had it at that point. Right. And then, you know, all the way down until now the vineyards got it. Okay. So maybe you're a little bit Catholic sympathetic. It sounds like. Yeah, I am. I'm totally obviously being silly, <laughs> but, but no, I actually am Catholic sympathetic for sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, I right. think there's, yeah. there's places where I would criticize the vineyard for things that I disagree with. So it's, it's not about, do I agree with everybody on all of their theology or practice? Right. Um, but yeah, as far as I'm concerned, the, the at least so there are obviously there are non-christians in the catholic church just like there are non-christians in the vineyard church so it's okay. not about that but like the official yeah. teaching of the catholic church while there are things that i wouldn't necessarily affirm it's orthodox christian faith like right. that's what it is you know so it's silly to look at them and say they're not christian or yeah i mean warts and all right I mean, if we want to start like digging through church history or, you know, looking at the news and finding places where there's examples of abuses, well, yeah, those are abuses. And there are, you know, pretty clear examples in church history of church leaders, even popes or whatever, who were, you know, probably not people of faith. But that doesn't change the fact that like what the Catholic Church stands for officially and publicly and what most Catholics are is people who love Jesus and want to follow him with their lives. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so, so if you were going to give advice to, you know, Christian friends on how to be the church. <laughs> oh man. Based on your experience. Oh my God. You know, before I get into that, Steve, can I ask you a question? Sure. Yeah. Um, so actually one of the things that I have a hard time with is this sort of universal idea of loving people. You know, it's really like as a finite human being, I, you know, I think you can definitely practically um, spiritually and emotionally love people in your immediate context that you, you know, in your, mm -hmm. in your, your neighbor. Right. Yep. Um, but this like, you know, you know, you know, there's some people that talk about, um, you know, Christians they've never met, you know, and like, oh, yeah, you know, we, because we love them, we're going to pray for them or or, you know, that's my sister, or my brother out there. And, you know, it's like, OK, but you've never met that person or or, you know, maybe you've met that person once, you know, like it, I, I just have hard time sometimes using that word love in any other context than just like my kind of immediate yeah. circle of people that I've regularly interact with. Um, so I just, I wonder uh, how you feel about that just cause I, I mean, I, you know, cause my answer would be like somehow we have to find a way to like really love each other. Mm. Uh, um, and, and you know that, or, and be sort of long suffering like we were talking about earlier about, um, you know, kind of putting down roots, I guess, in a place and supporting each other and each other's children. And, um, yeah. but, uh, I do think, um, you know, I do think, eh, gosh, thank God we do have a definition of love in the Bible. Right. Um, but I do think that 
sometimes it seems like it's so much more sacrificial or so much bigger than that definition we get in the Bible. And uh, I don't know. What do you think about this sort of universal love idea? So your question is, is it really possible to love people you've never met or to... Yeah, or to love everyone or to love everyone in the church, <laughs> actually. Uh, so, I mean, obviously a lot hinges on your definition of the word love and a definition that I have picked up from um, from Dallas Willard. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, I think it it's... I like it because it works. Um, he, he And he's talking specifically about agape love, right? Okay. So that kind of like selfless kind of a love and um, as opposed to, you know, affection or romantic love or, you know, but... Right. Um, and uh, his definition is that love is, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact words he uses, but love is the commitment to the, um, the well-being of the other, mm-hmm. right? So if I love you, I'm committed to your well-being, okay. right? That's what love is. Right. Um, so that's really, and so there's no reference to emotion or anything in that, right? It's really, it's, it, it is a commitment mm-hmm. um, and it's a commitment on my part about what is you know, true of you. Mm -hmm. And so it's other oriented. It's a commitment on my part. It's not emotional. Um, Mm. and it, and in many ways it's actually, it references, you know, uh, um, what's what I'm looking for implicitly it references like God's perspective on what's good for, you know, so if I love you, Michaela, Mm -hmm. I'm committed to what is best for you in God's eyes. You know what I mean? And so it's like, and, and that commitment obviously needs to be balanced with my love for God, my love for myself, my love for my wife and my kids and the other people in my life too, you know? So it's not right. like, you know, I'm your slave for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause there's like a lot of other commitments that I have too, right. but that like, there is this sense in which for you to be my Christian sister and somebody that I actually know, not just a random, mm-hmm. you know, some person out a there, random but, Christian sister, <laughs> right, or even just a random human being. <laughs> But like somebody that I know, um, so mm-hmm. I, I, it requires that I have some sort of skin in the game, um, committed towards what is best for you. Right. And, you know, with like within the context of our relationship, that looks like, you know, I, I try to treat you with kindness. I try to have fun with you. We also have like meaningful conversations where, you know, like I would want to listen to you, but Mm -hmm. also like maybe respond both with like encouragement and challenge, you know what I mean? So like that, and that's kind of the nature of our relationship Mm -hmm. is that we're like friends who are part of the same congregation and, and, you know, interact those ways, but that I'm like, I'm seeing myself as somebody who in some way, shape or form is working towards what is good for you. Right. Um, and so I think defining it that way, I think there is a way in which, I could say, yeah, like I do recognize that as a follower of Christ, I have an obligation to attempt to be in that kind of orientation towards all human beings. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's going to look way different with my wife Mm -hmm. than it does with you, than it does with somebody I've never met who lives on another continent. But that doesn't mean that I still can't say, well, yeah, to the degree that I am able and to the degree that I'm aware of, Mm -hmm. I actually do want what's best for some random person living in, you know, Moldova or something like that. You know what I mean? Like I I really do. I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think, I think that's helpful. I do, you know, I, I do think that it seems like even in that definition though, the, you know, if you want what's best for the person across the world, it's like, you know, 
but we don't know what their needs are. You know, mm-hmm. we don't know anything about them. You know, it's so in general, I'd say that that's a much more helpful definition, um, you know, when dealing with kind of just like broader circles of people. Um, so, yeah, I do think that's helpful. Cool. I mean, because it's not like have affection for. Yeah. It's like, how do you have affection for somebody you don't know? Or, right. and also, I mean, well, I do have affection for you. I like you, but yeah. it would be possible <laughs> to yes. have agape love for you and have very little affection for you, right? Like that's right. actually, I mean, you were even talking about within the context of your, um, your church community that it's like, well, you don't always, they're not always necessarily like the people you would choose as like your closest friends. Like maybe you don't have that kind of affinity or affection for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you actually have a relationship built on agape on that kind of selfless love. That is, um, that, I mean, that, that's not always the word that gets translated love in scripture, but the, most of the time that is the kind of love that scripture is talking about is that kind of selfless, the, the commitment to the well-being of the other that is built upon really the, the commitment to our well-being from Christ and that that's what is what binds us together. And, you know, you were talking about your experiences in church. It's like, yeah, the, these aren't, we're, we're not related by blood. We're not, and yet this is my uncle, right? you know, and, and we're not necessarily even re- related by affinity because <laughs> like I kind of <laughs> like that person more than that person, but this is the person that God has brought into my life. Right. And so we will suffer along each other's presence and commit to being in each other's lives. And there's a, there is a blessing that comes from being around people that you have affinity for, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a cool thing to, to experience, yeah. but there's also a blessing. And I would argue a deeper blessing that comes out of being in the presence of the community that God has chosen for you and that you have built a community around that kind of that deeper agape kind of commitment, Mm -hmm. which I mean, that seems to me like your description of your church growing up, which is pretty cool. Yeah. No, they're actually the older I get and I'm sure everybody can say this about something about their parents, maybe hopefully, uh, you know, the older I get, the more I realize, man, they were so busy and wow, they did a lot with their time. You know, those ministries that I rattled off, Mm -hmm. like, um, that all those ministries came out of that church. It wasn't like, you know, how we have a lot of ministries in Buffalo that kind of stand alone, uh, separate from churches. It's mm-hmm. like those were birthed out of that church. Yeah, You know, it's like the, like the amount of stuff that they were doing, just it blows my mind to yeah. think about it as an adult. Um, That's cool. Yeah. There's, a, there's an engine at the center of that church that is driving all of that. What is it? I mean, it's, I mean, from, from my perspective it, with my parents, like, you know, they have like a relationship with God that is like really, um, like, you know, really practically manifested itself in the world. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were both were people that got saved kind of, uh, in their teens. I think they were both in their teens. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder if, if the, that sort of different perspective at that point in their lives was, you know, very, um, you know, I wonder if they're not, maybe they take less for granted their, their experiences with God, you know, um, they know maybe a little bit better life without God and life with God. Uh, 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly um, what, and maybe I'll ask my dad, you know. What, <laughs> why do you do what you do? Why are you, why are you so driven? Yeah. <laughs> why did you have so many kids and do all this stuff? <laughs> um, you know, because I think, because I think Christians, you know, could have, you know, I think they could have done one of those ministries mm. and it would have been good, you know, but they, uh, they must, you know. It yeah. must have been, you know, the, in the collective of the leadership, they must have felt really strongly about, oh, yeah, they <laughs> they did feel really strongly about, and they still do, about, um, you know, trying to minimize abortion. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that pregnancy care center, for example, um, they, they were people that would like, you know, in their younger years, not anymore, but they would like protest in yeah. front of abortion uh, facilities and things like that yeah. and uh, they were political activists yeah and and actually i don't know about my mom but my i think mom got out of this it didn't get arrested but i think my dad's been arrested for mm. being like protesting somewhere and so that that was an issue that a bunch of them felt really strongly about yeah and so i think that that is of all of them i think the one of the more developed ministries that they have it's sort of it, it stands more on its own now in comparison to the other ones. But uh, yeah, so they must, I think they must have all just felt really strongly about certain things together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. What do you think? Is that a good, is that a wrap? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want, man. Yeah. We, we could go back to talking about architecture <laughs> or basketball or basketball. <laughs> right. Cool. That's that's for our next step. Next episode will be basketball. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. You have to show up with a black eye. Oh my gosh, Are you this this scratch is not enough for you. Gosh, I guess. Yeah, uh. that probably works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Michaela. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Two Forty Two is a podcast of Buffalo Vineyard Church in Buffalo, New York. You can learn more about who we are and get in touch with us at buffalovineyard.org. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating. Thank you for listening.